I first read the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell a couple years ago. I think it's a good read. You know, I enjoyed it as a book. And up until recently, I had a general concept. The 10,000 hour rule was, well, true. Then I heard something like this. You know, the 10,000 hour rule is one of those things that has always irked me. And it's irked me because of the way that it has been just absolutely excuse my French, bastardized throughout the literature. And it's been bastardized because it makes so much sense. And from a teaching standpoint, it's very easy for us to tell our players, whatever sport, look, you just got to put in the 10,000 hours and you're going to reach success. If you're not familiar with the general premise of the book Outliers and the 10,000 hour rule, here's a brief summary. When looking at different fields from business to athletes, there seems to be a magic number of 10,000 hours that the masters have put in practicing and learning their craft. And Malcolm talks about how genius is overrated. Success is not just about innate ability. It's combined with a number of factors such as opportunity, meaningful work, that those 10,000 hours, and the cultural legacy. Great concept. But according to our guest, Dr. Brett McCabe, something we need to correct and change in the way we think about practice and training. Hey, this is Dr. Brett McCabe. I'm the founder of The Mindside in Birmingham, Alabama, and I host The Mindside podcast each week through iTunes. Great podcast, by the way. Check it out and subscribe to it for sure. Welcome to the Golf Science Lab, a place for you to learn what's truly going on in the world of golf research so we can bring you the insights that can actually improve your game. I want to take a second and just really say thank you. We're six out of 10 episodes into the season and your support and feedback has been incredible from the emails, the tweets, the Facebook messages. It's been truly amazing and I'm happy that I embarked on this project. So keep sharing it with friends so we can get the word out about this information because the realization is this, how to stop wasting time learning and practicing is so, so important. We've been doing it wrong for so long and by sharing this you're becoming part of a movement to change the way that golf is taught and learned in fact uh you know the show's now on itunes so you can pull up your podcast app search for golf science lab hit subscribe uh and if you would leave a review that just helps us hop up the chart so more people will see it i appreciate it and Over the past couple of months, I've been working on something to really cap off this first season on motor learning. We're actually going to do the first ever virtual summit on motor learning in golf. And I put together the best lineup of presenters possible. Everyone from Dr. Tim Lee to Adam Young, David McKenzie, uh, the guys from Curious Coaches, and so many more. This is going to be incredible. Learn more at thegolfsciencelab.com backslash ML Summit. That's golfsciencelab.com backslash ML Summit. And you can get all the details there. It's very easy for us to tell our players, whatever sport, look, you just got to put in the 10,000 hours and you're going to reach success. And it's, it came about because of this whole belief system that talent is not really a true thing. And I don't think I really believe that. And I don't believe in that because there are certain people that I see who have just this innate ability to put a ball and a club or a bat together. You know, I look at people, for instance, if you're a fan of the NFL, there's a, a rookie of the year last year by the name of Odell Beckham Jr. I went to school with his mom and dad at LSU. I was also at school with Shaquille O'Neal. And I played with other guys on the LSU baseball team that are in the Hall of Fame, the College Baseball Hall of Fame. They had freaking talent. Odell Beckham's parents 
were football players and track athletes. Now, do we want to assume that he and I have the same abilities, DNA or whatever we call it, talent, same capacity to perform at that skill? Now, where we're making the mistake is we're assuming that talent doesn't matter and it's all about how hard you work. So the reason the 10,000 hour rule irks me is that sometimes we just have to do with what we have and it's not about doing more, it's about doing it better. Now, I will say this, Erickson in his original research, it's not Gladwell who did the research, it was Erickson, um, showed that it's not so much how many hours you put in, but it's deliberate, purposeful, structured practice. Dr. McCabe is right on here. And to give a little more backstory, the 10,000-hour rule that Macklem Gladwell references initially came from a 1993 study by Dr. Anders Ericsson called The Role of Deliberate Practice in Acquisition of Expert Performance. And we're not going to read anything from that, but in 2012, Dr. Ericsson wrote a rebuttal to outliers in this 10,000-hour concept. So check this out. In fact, the 10,000-hour rule was invented by Malcolm Gladwell, who stated that researchers have settled on what they believe is the magic number for true expertise, 10,000 hours. Gladwell cited our research on expert musicians as a stimulus for his provocative generalization to a magical number. Our research found that the best violinists reported having spent a remarkably large number of hours engaged in solitary practice, when in fact, 10,000 hours was the average of the best group. Indeed, most of the best musicians had accumulated substantially fewer hours of practice at age 20. A paper found that the attained level of expert music performance of students at an international level music academy showed a positive correlation with the number of solitary practice hours accumulated in their careers and the gradual improvement due to the goal-directed deliberate practice. In contrast, Gladwell does not even mention the concept of deliberate practice. All right. So let's talk about practice, because that's what these 10,000 hours supposedly should be. Yeah, I mean, look, you have to know that it's not just quality time. It, they're structured based on the foundations of your learning and the way that you focus and, and what's important to you. You know, if I'm a, if I'm a baseball player and I'm going to sit out there and take ground ball after ground ball after ground ball, yes, it's going to help me. But there also comes a point of law of diminishing returns. So cognitively, the way that we think, we can only do so much in a day. So it's better to have it structured. But it's not so much, I mean, there are certain players that just have great hand-eye coordination. But if they don't use it, then we have a problem. Now, where the talent becomes a mixture of problems is when people feel like they have to validate their talent and it becomes a pressure barrier. That's where we get in trouble. But for the 10,000-hour rule in general, yes, in theory, it's a great concept. But what do we know about it? So if we take a look at experts, and I talked to Dr. Tim Lee about this, and we look at experts. If we look at a college baseball team or a college basketball team, and we look at the amount of work that they put in, or we look at what they're doing, aren't they already kind of experts? I mean, they're playing it kind of pretty much the tip of that. Isn't that a little bit different than giving a ball and a bat to a kid who doesn't know how to throw? Yeah. At that point, we have to do a lot of repetitions. But the training must be specific and prescribed as we're moving up that pyramid of success. But let's take a surgeon, for instance, okay? So a surgeon is going to learn the deliberate, you know, the blocked practice of how to suture and how to cut, and they're going to practice on cadavers, and then they're going to work on simulations. But then guess what? Their first day of residency as an intern, they walk into a surgical room and they say, hey, intern, get over here, get your hands in here. They start figuring it out. 
Then they go back. What do they do? They go, okay, I learned something here. Then they go back to their books. They go back to their block practice, their foundations. They go back to their simulations and they say, I learned something from this environment. So hopefully you have a little understanding of this now because I want to take a shift with this episode. I want to dive into really applicable concepts you can start using on the golf course and with your actions. You know, we've talked a little bit in past episodes of the Golf Science Lab about the importance of practicing correctly. So let's talk about how you should be spending your time if you're going to be putting in the hours. And although we know that there's no magic in 10,000, but what should you be doing? You have to be what I call structured in the foundations. The foundations are where you build a house from. So whether we're looking at technical block practice or what have you, it comes down to having consistent foundations of our success, which are usually the two or three things that are keys to our success. So for instance, let's use golf. If I know that when I go out to the golf course, there are two or three things that every swing lesson I ever take, or what I call swing sessions, most of us know how to swing a club by that point. By the time we go in to take a swing session with our teacher, they always come back to the same two or three things. Those are my foundations. If I can master those two or three things, then the fourth, fifth, and sixth problem that usually somebody walking on the range says, hey, it looks like your hands are getting open at a dress. That's completely irrelevant to my foundations. So they need to do their foundations. Then you have to move into structured kind of simulation practice. Pay attention here because Dr. McCabe runs through this quickly, but it's incredibly effective. And hey, when you can learn from a guy who works with PGA and LPGA players, as well as being a sports psychologist with University of Alabama, I'll I'll take advantage of it. Now, after we do foundations, we move into performance practice. But within performance, there's a couple theories here. Is that you have to have some simulation. You have to, on the range in a controlled environment, put yourself through performance-based training that challenges yourself. Now, within that, there has to be failure as an option. But it's a little bit more of a controlled environment. Then we move into simulated style competitions, not simulations, but simulated. So like we're going to go out on the golf course and practice out in that environment, in vivo. And out there, we have a variable environment. On the range, we have a controlled environment. We train too often in a controlled environment, but play in a variable. I want to move us to the variable environment as soon as possible. Then we have to take the learnings of a competitive hyper environment, which is being in the heat of the moment, where everything is at risk and we have to be vulnerable. So that's a positive learning environment. But the basics of that is that we have to be based on our foundations. We have to have competitive where we have to get out of our comfort zones. Failure must be an option and that we have to learn to be resilient and work through it. If we don't have those factors, then we're not learning. All we're doing is rehearsing. So Dr. McCabe starts with the foundations in a block practice environment. Uh, simply working on the two to three keys that are relevant to you, staying focused and knowing what you need to work on, and then into performance. So for instance, on the range, that would be hitting to not not two of the targets ever in a row. You're going to have outcomes. So in other words, I'm going to hit these eight balls. I'm going to try to hit the eight, the, the six different greens on the golf course with different clubs. I'm going to go through my pre-shot routine, work on my breathing, all that. My goal is to perform in this setting. Then I might do some other kinds of games to get my heart rate up. Then I might go out on the course and say, today I'm going to go out there and hit shots on the golf course. So I want to work on a driver. I might hit three or four drivers off the tee box, but I'm looking for performance-based feedback. Am I worrying about where my left arm is or my right arm is or my right leg? No, that's where I do it in, in, in blocked foundational practice. See, and this is where the deliberate nature comes in. You know, if I'm going to build a house, I'm going to have plans. 
but I've got to lay the foundation before I ever do the finishing. And too many of us get caught up on the finishing before we ever think about the plans. And, you know, that's what we do in golf and in sports. We want to get to the end as fast as possible. And it's important from a psychological standpoint that we have a sequence. You know, you hear people say, you got to trust your process, trust your process. Well, the process is your sequential program approach to be successful. Practice and learning has been changing as this understanding gets out to more people, but it's taken a long time to adapt to golf. That's why it's time that this changes. So when I was in, was I, when I was in grad school, when I was getting my doctorate, so they made a change about 10 years before I was in grad school that they went away from what's called a comprehensive examination. A comprehensive exam used to be a written paper and pencil test where before you could sit for your dissertation and start your dissertation process, you had to demonstrate competency across all the different areas. And it was a paper and pencil. They'd give you study books. And they realized that if I said, you're going to study this for this exam, and here's your book of data, study that. If you wanted to ace that exam, you could put in the hours to ace that exam. But would you really learn the material? So what they did is they changed it. And instead, they said, we're going to have you assess a patient on your own, work up a complete diagnostic history. Then we want you to write a 25-page paper on the illness, you know, for publication. Then we're going to assign to you three different faculty members randomly that are going to sit in and essentially grill you. Why? Because if you can't go through questions and answers, then you don't know how to think on your feet and adjust. That's a variable environment. Well, we train on the golf course like studying for that test with the books, the study books. And most players prepare, in my opinion, prepare to eliminate mistakes. Well, if I can do this, I'll eliminate that right shot. If I can do this, I can. They never once say, I'm out here training so I can lock into the shots that I want to hit. You know, a basketball player goes, I don't practice my shot so I can miss better to the right. They go out there and they stand in the, in the three-point line and they keep shooting shots so that they can make them more and more and more and more. And that's, you know, so I think that's a problem. So that's when we're practicing on the range, it's a controlled environment. The lie doesn't change. The outcome doesn't change. The target rarely changes. We go on the golf course, no two shots are ever the same unless we have to drop a ball because we hit it out of bounds. And even that, it's not the same because now we're hitting number three. So it's everything is changing. So we have to learn to take the fixed nature and apply it to an unknown environment. The best way to describe this is how the Navy SEALs train. They train for the unknown. They think they know where they're going, but they never know. They have intelligence to help them. But what they do is they say, look, we are training and we're overtraining and we're training better in random environments and in uncontrolled environments so that we, when we get into a heightened uncontrolled environment, we can trust our capacity to perform at that level. So Dr. McCabe has brought some awesome concepts to the table. But guess what? Nothing is going to change unless you have a plan. But the crazy part is that no one does this. The education, the understanding is the easy part. The implementation is the hard part. Would you ever go into the gym without a workout schedule? No, because if you did, you'd just be guessing, well, I think I'll do arms today. I think I'll do triceps. Why should we train our golf game the same way? Every practice that, we, that I had when I was at LSU was written down, and every practice was scheduled a week in advance. In fact, this is a problem no matter what level of golfer you are. Well, and what happens to a tour player if they don't have a plan? What happens is they get out there on Monday afternoon. Most of them will get there on Tuesday. They get out there. They want to go hit play 18. 
They get on the range. They warm up a little bit. They catch up with all the equipment guys. They got their responsibilities. The practice becomes pretty crappy. Then they go out on the range. They don't hit it very well. Then they start getting panicky. Now they're out there on Tuesday at 5, panicking with their coach. Now the next day they got a pro-am. Man, not a lot of time left. Now they're in a pseudo-competitive environment, which is garbage anyways, because, I mean, can you imagine telling um, Justin Verlander, today you're, tomorrow you're pitching, but today I want you to play a celebrity softball game. Okay, but it's the way that golf raises their money, and I get it, and it's wonderful for charities. But they have to understand that when they're out there in a pro-am, they will work on their shots when they get to the range because on Thursday it's a brand-new game. So if they don't have a plan of how to deal with where people are eating, who's eating, who's coming in town, when they're going to meet their agent, when are they going to meet their coaches, their psychologist, their trainer, then it just becomes catch as catch can. And it's a disaster. So that's the trap that most fall into. But you know now. So hopefully you'll be saying something like this in the near future. I've had players who will say, man, I've never thought about it this way. It makes a lot of sense. What it actually does is reduces the amount of time they're out there. And I'll tell you from a junior who told me, he said, look, I'm on the practice range an hour to an hour and a half less than I used to be. I'm in, I'm out, I'm done, I've moved on. I've gotten my work done. There's no anxiety out there. Most players go to the range to try to find it. They enjoy it. Then they start hitting balls and they're like, man, something's going wrong. And they stay out there till they fix it. Then they leave and they feel relieved. They don't feel like they've trained. And although we've talked about setting up the best learning and training environment possible, perfection and striving to be perfect are not the goal. If we don't induce failure in our practice, then we're not really pushing ourselves to our outer limits. Failure is something that is, as this generation is going through, is failure's tough because we don't always feel like we're going to have many chances. And I know in business or, you know, if I'll have a business opportunity to work with a team and I, I sit there and I say, you know, if I don't get this deal, I don't know if another one is going to come around. They always come around if you continue to do good work, but you have to learn. And, and I think where Carol Dweck from the, the Mindset book has it so brilliantly is that it really is about two different mindsets. Listen up here, folks. This is good stuff. We have to be growth mindset. What is a growth mindset? It's about being open. And if we look at it from a mindfulness perspective, it's about being accepting of the outcome. It's about learning and everything, that we are creatures of learning and engagement. We're organisms for growth. And that's what we need to be. So if we don't fail in our practice, you know, we're not training to be, to be, and I don't mean this in a negative way to any figure skaters out there, but we're not training to be figure skaters where we rehearse a routine the environment is the same. It's who can do that to the best of their ability. Golf, baseball, basketball, all the competitive sports have, for the most part, variable environments. And it requires us to be able to push through failure on a daily, on a minute-by-minute basis to be, to be accepting of outcomes, but instead to be locked into the desires of what we want. Thank you so much, Dr. Brett McCabe, for sharing with us. You can check out his podcast on iTunes simply by searching for Mindside or find it in the show notes here on this page. His website is brettmccabe.com. That's B-H-R-E-T-T-M-C-C-A-B-E. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at Dr. Brett McCabe. And Dr. Brett will also be back as a speaker at our Summit on Motor Learning. Make sure to learn more at golfsciencelab.com backslash ML Summit. That's the letter M, the letter L, and the word Summit. This episode was hosted and written by me, Cordy Walker. You can follow me on Twitter at Cordy Walker, C-O-R-D-I-E. 
Make sure to find us on iTunes or Stitcher and subscribe to the podcast. This was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Published Productions, and we will see you all next time on the Golf Science Lab. <laughs>